Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bonas. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Perhaps you do not know how much you need God to come as a woman in labor, a birthing spirit hovering over creation, holding within her the memory of you nursing at her breast. Or to surprise you, Perhaps you do not know how much you need God to surprise you in ordinary places, searching in the fields for sheep, uprooting his garden, keeping her bees, a a bird roosting in a tree. If you look closely as you walk, if you pay attention with your eye on the book and the world, the blessing will be as near as the dirt, as close as the air, a sprouting tree, a rushing fountain. And if you rage or fear, if tears are your bread, God is there in the middle of it, a steaming pot, a raging she-bear, a smoking kiln, or perhaps a fire, always fire. Well, good. Oh, I'm up here. Good afternoon. Awaken. Hi. I'm glad to be here with you all this afternoon. Some people who are online, welcome to you. Darcy, it's falling. Thank you, Darcy. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, No, this is fine. But I'll just keep talking while you're doing that. Um, Yeah, just welcome here. What? I can hold it if you want me to. I said I needed a mic stand. I didn't say it had to be a physical one. It could be you. That works. That's fine. If it falls, I'll just grab it. Thanks, Darcy. Uh, Yeah, welcome here. Um, If you didn't know, my name is Dallas. Um, I've only been here for a couple months. I'm the pastoral intern here. If you haven't met me or Tatiana, who's doing children's stuff, she's my wife. Um, Yeah, we've only been here since July. So um, if you are also new, well, we're in it together. So if you haven't met me, say hi to me after, and uh, I'd love to chat with you. Today we begin, or kind of continue, our story through the book of Numbers. As Nikayla taught us last week, Numbers is a wild book and is filled with um, ridiculous stories that leave us in bewilderment. They are confusing and they force us into awkward places and sometimes feel like we're watching an HBO show. Well, today's story is thankfully one of the lighter ones, uh, but still has hints of all of that, so I hope you've come ready to be challenged by the scriptures. It's going to be a fun journey as we go through this together. We begin our story in Numbers 12. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to flip open to Numbers 12. It's like the fifth book in your Bible, so it's not too far in. That's not right. It's not fifth, but it's close to that. Um, It's also going to be on the screen, so if you don't have that, you can follow along. I'll be reading from the NRSV in case you want to know what translation this is and you're using a phone or something. We're going to be flipping through 11 and 12, but we're going to start here. Um, So you can begin by following me through the first 13 verses. We'll read 12, verse 1 to 13. It says, While they were at Hazaroth, the Israelites, 
Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had indeed married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. When there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud went away from over the tent, Miriam had become leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam and saw that she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O oh, my Lord, do not punish us for a sin that we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like one stillborn, whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of its mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her. That's the beginning of our journey through Numbers. What is going on here? Why is Miriam rebuking Moses for this marriage? And why is she falling ill with this weird skin disease? Already we've got questions. So let's begin by talking about this strange marriage. Why is Miriam upset? Well, scholars have different ideas on the matter. So we've got a few possibilities, with some a little more likely than others. But the first theory is commonly thought that Miriam is angry because, as the text says, this woman is a Cushite. In other words, not an Israelite woman. Now we know from laws laid out in Exodus and Deuteronomy that God does not want the Israelites mixing with other nations. Intermarriage has been deemed not good because the Israelites are supposed to be a holy nation, set apart from these others. And we know that Cushite would very well mean that this woman is Ethiopian. If she's Ethiopian, well, she's not Israelite. And therefore, Moses was wrong to have married her. He's now broken the law. So it's certainly possible that Miriam doesn't like that Moses' wife is of a different culture. You can imagine that that would be a problem. Not only has God set the precedent for Hebrew marriage, but now it's, that it's their prophetic leader. He's somebody who's chosen by God, who was elected to, uh, to lead, and now he's defamed the integrity of Israel. If you do this, Moses, everybody's going to want to do it too. And then Israel's not going to be just Israel. The second possibility, there's also the hierarchy of siblings. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam are all siblings. And this is the classic conflict between brothers and sister. Anybody who has brothers and sisters knows what I'm talking about. And Moses is the youngest of them all. And in this ancient world, the older siblings, being the only family of Moses, would typically have a say in who Moses would marry. So it's not like uh, today, when, like, for those of you who know, I'm married to Tatiana. When I started dating her, I just dated her because I liked her, and then I proposed to her because I loved her, and I married her because I loved her. There wasn't some approval system, kind of. I asked her mom's blessing. She gave it, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Miriam and Aaron would have been outraged. This was their responsibility. This was their thing that they were supposed to do. And it's just simply not how 
uh, we do it today. It would have been offensive to them. The third possibility, and potentially the most likely, is that Moses was already married at the time of wedding this Cushite woman. We read about this story in Exodus 2, where Moses marries a Midianite woman named Zipporah. This story happens before Moses is called into Egypt to get the Israelites out of Pharaoh's empire. Back when Moses was living in Egypt, he had noticed an Egyptian being attacked by, or sorry, an Israelite being attacked by an Egyptian. And in a rush of anger and frustration, he goes and he kills the Egyptian. And now he's got to run away because Pharaoh wants to kill him. So he flees and he runs away and he finds himself in Midian where he meets Zipporah. They get married and they have a son named Gershom. And they seem to be living a nice life in Midian. This place is also not insignificantly where Moses meets God. And after God appears to Moses in the burning bush encounter, a story many of us have heard, Moses, Zipporah, and their son are in the wilderness on their way to Egypt. Oddly enough, on this journey, God attempts to kill Moses, but Zipporah saves Moses by circumcising their son. Weird, I know, and it's a whole nother story for a different time. But the point for now is that she is the one who has introduced Moses to the ways of God's people. Zipporah was integral to Moses' story. And after this experience, Aaron, the brother, is sent out into the wilderness to meet up with Moses and help him in the rescue of the Israelites. And Zipporah disappears from the story. Moses and Aaron go on to Egypt, and we don't see Zipporah again until chapter 18, where she is brought to visit Moses along with her two sons, probably one of those being Gershom. And so it's his own son. And when he sees them, he barely acknowledges them and sends them away. No more Zipporah and Gershom. So regardless, when in Numbers 12 now, Moses has married this Cushite woman, perhaps Miriam is rebuking Moses for marrying somebody else while he is still married and has just abandoned his other wife. Of course she's mad. But regardless of her reasoning, Robert Alter says that in either case, they mean to suggest that Moses' marital behavior is unworthy of a prophetic leader and hence evidence that he does not deserve to be the exclusive vessel of prophecy. It quickly becomes easy to resonate with Miriam. Of course she would go and talk to Moses. This is unacceptable. This is not right. But despite Miriam's righteous anger, she is the one who ends up falling ill with the skin disease. Yet it is Moses who prays for her healing. Maybe that's why the author of Numbers includes that line about Moses' humility. Immediately after being accused of being a bad leader and a betrayer of Israel, Moses prays for his sister's healing. He is interceding on behalf of the people who have been entrusted to him. And the English translations don't even grasp the beauty and significance of his prayer either. In Hebrew, it's a very breathy and rhythmic prayer. It would have been very traditional and significant to the Israelites, conveying his love for Miriam and his earnest desire that she be healed. Maybe Moses isn't such a bad leader after all. I won't ask for a show of hands, but think to yourself, who here has had an issue with a leader in the past? A boss, a pastor, a coach, some other position. I worked at a church for a couple years that turned out to have a not-so-great leader in some ways. Like Miriam, I was upset, and so were many other people on staff. A few people bold enough to do so would have conversations with the leader to discuss what they thought could be done better or to improve the direction of the church. The problem was some people felt they got shut down or 
things that just wouldn't happen. In our frustration, we turned to one another in complaint. Rather than having constructive conversations with those we were frustrated with, we talked about the problems in secret. Yeah, maybe it felt good to do that, but it forced our staff to splinter off into separate cliques and groups. And this isn't something that I just observed, I saw happening, I was a part of it. We would sit and say, why can't we just do this? I can't believe they don't see it the way that I do. But what I didn't see, and what many of us didn't see, was that behind the scenes, our leader was having a tremendous impact on people who needed it more than we needed our desired changes. Those who came into the church for the first time were met with a kind and compassionate speaker who would lovingly welcome them in. Those who were suffering through cancer diagnoses, had a, lost a loved one, had lost jobs, were met by a pastor who remembered their names and met them where they were at, who would drop everything just to help them and be with them. Meanwhile, I was too focused on what wasn't happening, usually what was wrong with a sermon or a church service, that I couldn't see the way he was taking care of his people, those who were most vulnerable. And we see that in Moses here in this story. He is the leader of these people. And his first response is to pray for Miriam in her affliction. He doesn't jump into a defense as to why he was right or why Miriam is falling ill. His first prerogative is to pray for the healing of another. So we've got this story with Miriam, but what happens before this? And we're going to take a step backward and we're going to see what happened just before Miriam's complaint against Moses. And what we find is Numbers 11. So we're going to jump back there. And here we're going to see Israel's complaints against God. So let's watch and see what Israel does. And let's see what Moses does. So we'll read together verses 1 to 6 from chapter 11. Now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. Then the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. But the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire abated. So that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. We know that before this, the Israelites had been led out of Egypt and into wilderness. Here, they encounter sparse vegetation, little water, and no meat. It's a dangerous place, and for them, represents death. In the wilderness, the Israelites experience the fears and the mindset of Egypt, scarcity. The fear that there won't be enough. The only difference is that here, it actually appears as if they will run out. And in their desperation, they complain. Why would God lead us out here? We're just going to die when we could have stayed in Egypt. At least back in Egypt, we had food, we had shelter, we had water. And it's easy for us to look at the Israelites and think, oh, what are they complaining about? They've got God on their side. Don't they see that he's looking out for them? But they don't see their slavery from the third person perspective you and I do today, thousands of years later. They were literally dying and seeing God's wrath kindle against them and wipe out large numbers of their families if starvation didn't threaten them first. 
here in the wilderness, the Israelites have nothing. And that hope for the promised land seems like it's slipping away. The dream is becoming seemingly impossible. We probably won't have enough water to make it until next week. Maybe we should just go back. Maybe we can have hope of survival back in Egypt. Suddenly, the Israelites don't seem so much different from us when we see this story from their perspective. When's the last time you took a step out in hope of a better future only to find the path more difficult than your previous one? Or simply found yourself in a place once filled with hope and now seems void of it entirely? Maybe you lost a job during COVID and now find yourself working a job you hate. Or maybe you haven't been able to find one at all. It would be easier if I could just go back there because I had an income. There, I had hope of making it through the year. We all have these seasons of wilderness and waiting, and they look different from one another. For me, I found myself in a year of new things. As many of you already know, I got married a few months ago. This is great. I absolutely love being married. I love my wife. But it's also incredibly difficult sometimes. And last week, or a couple weeks ago, we both started back at school, and we're entering into that for the year. And now I'm learning what it means to be a good husband, to be a good student, to be a good pastor, and in the midst of all that, just to be a healthy human being. And there never seems to be enough time in the day to do it, let alone the energy to do so. And still more, as I look to next year and look towards graduating from university, I face the complexity that I know some of you here have experienced and are experiencing, the unknown of what's next. I don't know what's on the other side of internship. I don't know what's on the other side of graduating. I often think back to first and second year university when my biggest concern was whether I got an A or a B on a paper. It was safer and it was easier back then. Because then I had enough, I wasn't scared. Thankfully, in my fear of the unknown, I don't feel God's wrath like the Israelites. But maybe some of you do in a way. Their complaint leads to consuming fires around the camp. And when they cry out, Moses stands before them, placing himself between them and the Lord, and he prays. Again, just like Miriam, Moses is emphasizing the care of the people entrusted to him. He won't just stand by and watch it happen. We might ask, who's standing in front of the fire for me? Why does it feel like my season of desperation is leading to more bad than good? So now that we've gone through these stories, we've seen what's happened, let's take a step back and let's observe. Let's see what's going on. In these stories, we see the nation of Israel, much like ourselves, in a state of anxiety. And as a result of this, they divided themselves out of fear. The Israelites don't feel like God is with them and that he's living up to the promises of the covenant. So they feel opposite to God. Miriam and Aaron don't feel like Moses is living up to his role as prophet and leader, and so their siblingship and their, their leadership is split. Moses, too, doesn't feel like the people even trust him, let alone like him, so he feels alone. And on and on the cycle goes. Everyone is divided. But God's hope and his plan for his people is not that they merely be met with the comfortability and the sustenance as they had in Egypt. He wants them to unlearn Egypt he desires that they be together, unified as one nation with one God. It's not that he won't provide them with the food to survive. He's been doing that all along. 
but their discontent has prohibited them from being the family they are called to be and left them in shambles. So the question is, how does the story end? There is more to this that happens after Miriam is afflicted with her skin disease. So let's read the end of Numbers 12 and let's see what happens. It should be on the screen again, just a couple of verses. Uh, this is after, she, after Miriam has become leprous and after Moses has prayed for her. It says, verse 14, But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam had been brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. The end of Numbers. Have a great day, everybody. I'm kidding. But there you have it. That's the end. Kind of seems like a morbid ending to the story. Perhaps you're questioning, like me, why Miriam would be treated like this and what do we do with this story? We could see Miriam's situation as an unfair punishment, but perhaps there's something greater happening. Maybe Miriam here is the Christ character. Miriam, a prophet for the Lord, tries to defend the children of Israel and support them. She cares for them deeply, and in her attempt at justice, she is rejected. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here, like Jesus, her suffering is what brings all the people together. The people have a deep love for their prophet, their leader. Miriam is one of theirs, and they will not leave without her. Throughout our story today, the Israelites have been all about surviving. We need to get more because there is not enough. They're gathering all the food, they're gathering all the meat that they can, everything around them. Yet what God wants for them is not to gather food, he literally prevents the manna from staying fresh. But he wants for them to be gathered together to one another. His question for Israel remains, can you stick together? Siblings are fighting. Tribes are complaining against their God. The family is literally ripping themselves apart, all because each of them is afraid. And some of us might look at this story and think, what a cruel God killing Israelites and afflicting Miriam? Or maybe like we said, we see Miriam in light of Jesus whose suffering bought us unity and God who uses them to bring people together. Notice that God doesn't abandon his people to die of starvation. He feeds them with abundance. If we look in Matthew 15, we see the story of feeding the 4,000 and the Israelites asking Jesus, how are we supposed to feed all these people? We don't have enough. Our imaginations are limited. We can't think of the possibilities or the abundance of God. Our fears take hold, and yet the seven little bits of bread and fish were more than enough for Jesus to feed that crowd. When we look at Moses, we also see the character of Jesus as he cries out on behalf of the Israelites, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Don't punish them. Despite their complaints, he vouches for them. I, uh, I had a conversation with a pastor earlier this year, and he gave me some pastoral advice that I hold near and dear to my heart, but he said, learn to be ruthlessly critical of everyone, including me, but don't confuse that with being cynical. Too many of us are cynical, 
And we, like the Israelites, find ourselves discontent with our current state, and we complain about how things ought to be. We need to learn the difference between cynical and critical. This is a crucial task, and it takes a lot of practice. You know, think what you will about Moses, Aaron, and Miriam in these stories, but they are constantly running into the fire and praying for God to stop killing Israelites. They repeatedly come to the aid of the Israelites and stand between them and God's wrath, yet the Israelites don't see it. We, too, are often like the Israelites who focus on the negative, and we don't see the good our leaders and others do for us. It was easy for other staff members and me to suggest that maybe one of us should be in charge. But do we even really want their job? Doesn't seem like Moses even wants his job. He literally asks that God would just kill him because he's like, I can't bear it anymore. I can't do it. And as Caleb mentioned last week, Moses dies in the wilderness. Miriam dies in the wilderness. Aaron dies in the wilderness. They gave up everything, including their lives and the promised land, for the sake of the people. Like me and my old job, we don't often think of the sacrifice that our leaders and others give for us. And we shouldn't forget specifically Miriam and her sacrifice, which is a thing that holds the whole camp together. Here in Numbers 12, the nation of Israel is finally united in their goals and their efforts. The Israelites aren't focused on their scarcity, and the division created by cynicism and complaints is nowhere to be found. Rather, the nation of Israel is focused on one of their own. I just want to read verse 15 again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam had been brought in again. They wait for Miriam. They refuse to move without her. It's from this unity, this place of oneness, that Israel ventures into the rest of their wilderness. And the other stories that we're going to read in Numbers is they faithfully walk deeper into this desert place. Their focus is, in this moment, not on food and not on scarcity, but on being together. Their concern is finally for each other. Some of us spent this past year feeling alone in the world. Some of us feel that today. Our fears of what's next and how we're going to make it run rampant in our minds. I think our story today shows us that while we are all worried about something, we aren't supposed to do it alone. Perhaps it's hard to see where God's providential manna is today, but there is hope in the community, in the people who surround us. I think the hope of Numbers 11 and 12 is that we have a God in people who love and care for each other. Today it's what we call the church, the people of God a people who know what it's like to be afraid and face unbelievable scarcity, a people who are not critical or cynical about their circumstance, but open and vulnerable about where they are. We all come with our anxieties. Each of our stories matter. Each of our cries are heard, and we are together in the presence of God. That's part of what we are acknowledging at the communion table, being with each other by the grace of God. And from this place, we begin our journey into numbers, deeper into the wilderness, and into our week. The people of God gathered together, sharing in the abundance of God. Let's pray, and Nikhil will come and lead us in communion. 
God of the wilderness, we gather before you this Sunday afternoon. Many of us here today with fears too intense to utter, with wounds too deep to keep going. God of hope, make your presence known in each of our lives. Let your church be a good church, one where all are welcomed, where no one is left behind. Let our anxiety be drowned out by the love of Jesus, the love that is made manifest by your Holy Spirit in each of us. Let your hope for your people dwell within us. In the name of Jesus, our healer, we pray. Amen.